If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open to John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can either download the YouVersion app on your phone right now, or you can uh, grab a Bible right there on the table right as you walked in. Uh, seriously, if you don't have one, we won't judge you. Uh, you'll need it tonight as we walk through uh, what we want to see. So you've been going uh, for the last several weeks through the I am statements of Jesus. I don't know if you know that, but that's what this series has been, the I am statements of Jesus. And what these statements are, things that Jesus said about himself to give us a clearer view of who Jesus is. So these statements, uh, how many of you wear glasses or contacts? Okay, a lot of you. So I went to the eye doctor two weeks ago. It was the second time in my life I'd been to the eye doctor, in my life, okay? I went when I was seven, had a bad experience, and then waited for like 24 years to go back, okay? So that was a new experience for me. But uh, you know, so you've been to the eye doctor, most of you, and you got that thing, uh, it's called a phoropter. Use that in Scrabble next, all right? So it's, that's, that's the clicky thing that they put in front of your eyes, okay? And so that's, that's where you're looking at the, at the letters and they're going like, is this one clear or is this one clear? Click, 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 click. That's what I mean, clicky thing. That's what these I am statements of Jesus are. These I am statements are what Jesus says about himself to give us a clearer view of who he is. It's like, it's like a spiritual phoropter, okay? Putting it in front of our eyes. And so uh, these are lenses to bring into greater and greater focus who the person of Jesus Christ is. And so here's our lens for tonight. John chapter 10 starting in verse 11. You could kind of view this as part two of Nick's message from last week. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. And so what we have here is Jesus identifying himself as the good shepherd. Now don't forget who the audience here is. Nick covered this a little bit last week. The audience here are the Pharisees, which are the Jewish religious leaders, and also Jews who are standing around just kind of overhearing this conversation, overhearing this description of who Jesus is. And so what Jesus is doing right now is that he is, he is saying that he is the good shepherd that the Old Testament had clearly talked about. He's clearly identifying himself with the good shepherd of the Old Testament. And maybe, maybe you know this verse, maybe you don't. If you don't know it, you've probably at least recognized it at your grandma's house, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He, he restores my soul. You see, when they heard Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, what they would have heard is this. They would have heard the description of the one who takes us to calm places. You see, shepherds take sheep to calm places. Shepherds were the one who would restore our weary and aching, and aching hearts. 
or weary and aching souls. A shepherd is someone who takes care of everything. A shepherd is someone who takes care of everything. Get, get this in your mind. This is the picture Jesus is giving of who he is. He's saying, I, I am the good shepherd. Shepherds take care of everything. Shepherds aren't partners. Shepherds aren't coworkers. This isn't a give and take relationship. A shepherd does everything. A shepherd is somebody who takes care of you, who says, I have everything under control. Relax. Don't worry about a thing. I've got it. My guess is that there are some of you in this room tonight who have been looking for that kind of shepherd for a long time. You've been looking for that kind of shepherd, the one who will say, don't worry about it. I've got it. You can relax. You can rest. Calm down. You're taken care of. I have everything under control. You see, now some of you, uh, you're either in a relationship or you're hoping for a relationship that when you get in that relationship, you can finally say, finally, someone to take care of me. Finally, someone to love me. Finally, someone to meet my emotional, my relational, my physical needs. Finally, I can relax. For those of you who have searched for that relationship, putting all your stock, that that will finally be the thing that brings you peace, you'll know that it isn't a surprise that that other person couldn't do that for you. They couldn't be that for you. They couldn't bring for you what you thought they could bring. Maybe, maybe they're great, maybe you're still with them and that's fine, but you know deep down inside that they aren't everything that your heart needs or desires. Or maybe some of you are upset because you thought that your parents were supposed to be your good shepherds. They were supposed to take care of you. They were supposed to meet your needs. They were supposed to make you feel safe and secure, totally taken care of. They were supposed to bring you the peace in your life that you've been looking for, but surprise, they couldn't do that either. And you probably remember the moment or you probably remember the, the circumstances around the moment where you realize that mom and dad uh, are humans. That dad's not Superman, that mom isn't Superwoman, that they're humans just like you. And they can't be for you everything that you would hope they would be. No matter how great your parents are, they'll never fulfill that role in your life. It's possible that some of you have chosen majors, that you've taken jobs, that you've pursued relationships, that you've voted for political leaders, whether you're Democrat, Republican, I don't care what it is, that you've pursued people in positions thinking and hoping that this is the one. This is the one. This is the thing. This is the person. This is the politician. This is the policy. This is the profession. This is the major. This is the trajectory of my life that, that will take care of everything I've been wanting in my life. That finally, once I finally get that, once they're finally in office, once that, once that finally happens, then I'll finally have peace and rest. And surprise, surprise, that doesn't do it for you either. Now, there are some of you who, when I read and talked through 
those different descriptions, so relationships, parents, majors, professions, politicians, there's some of you who are a little bit more enlightened, right? You're a little bit more mature. You're a little bit more uh, developed, let's say. And you think, oh, that, that's cute. I used to be like that. I used, I used to look to all those other things, to all those other people, to all those other situations. I used to look to all that stuff. Like, I, like I know people like that. I know people who are searching for that in, in X, Y, and Z, and that person and that thing. Like, oh, that's cute. I, I, I used to be like that. But I'm, I'm emotionally adjusted. I'm mature. I'm ahead of the curve. Because I know I don't need all those things. I don't need to look to all those things to be for me what, what, I, know, what I long for and what I deeply desire. I know I don't, I, don't, I don't need those things. And what you do in that scenario is that you don't look outside to external things to be your shepherd. What, what, what are you doing in that moment? You're making you your shepherd. You're making you the fulfillment of everything you would ever want. You're looking to yourself to be your guide, for yourself to be your shepherd. But the reality is that wherever you're at tonight, the reality is that until you realize that no human being, including yourself, can be your good shepherd, you'll continue to be restless, You'll continue to bounce from thing to thing to thing to thing, person to person to person to person, self-help plan to self-help plan to self-help plan. And until you realize that it isn't in yourself or in anyone else that you can look to to be your good shepherd, you will never find the peace of mind, the peace within your soul that you've been looking for. For some of you tonight, your college experience could be defined as an endless search for a good shepherd. I have to imagine in a room of university students, college-aged people this size, I'm certainly not talking to nobody here. And tonight what we see in John chapter 10 is Jesus saying to each and every one of you, but the search is over. But the search is over. Come to me, all who are weary and bear heavy burdens. And I, Jesus Christ, will give you rest. So three things that Jesus says about himself to show us that the search is over in this passage. There's three things. The first thing is the completeness of his character. Jesus is complete in his character. Look at verse 11. It's the first five words. It's so easy to miss. I am the good shepherd. And kind of like Nick highlighted last week, he doesn't say I am a good shepherd. He says I am the good shepherd. You see, Jesus isn't, isn't in the running to be a good shepherd. It isn't like, like text in, make sure that you vote. It's not like, like some American Idol competition, right? Like America's next good shepherd, right? It's like, it's like, no, like Jesus is the good shepherd. Like the vote is in, right? He is the good shepherd. He's not in the running. He's not one of many options. He's not fighting for first place. 
I hope Jesus makes it. He simply is the good shepherd. And I'm sure, I know Nick covered this last week, but don't miss that in all of this imagery in scripture about Jesus being the good shepherd, don't forget that that puts you and I in the position of being sheep. Sheep. Stupid. Smelly. Sure, we're fluffy, fine. (laughs) But sheep nonetheless. Whose life depends on being led by a good shepherd. Some of you are so dang self-sufficient that you've forgotten that you're a sheep. And you've forgotten that you need a good shepherd. You see, shepherds lead. Shepherds defend. Shepherds provide. Shepherds care for the need, for the needs of the sheep. Shepherds lead the sheep to restful places. Remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Why in the world would a shepherd have to make a sheep lie down in green pastures? What better place for a sheep to be in green pastures? Why wouldn't a sheep want to, want to lie down in green pastures? Why would a sheep need to be made to lie down in green pastures? It's because sheep are so dumb that they don't even know the best place to lie down. They don't even know where to set themselves down. Sheep don't even know where the best place of rest is. They can't even recognize where the most restful places are to lie down. And on our own, you and I, we wouldn't naturally choose things that bring true rest to our soul. We wouldn't. Stop trusting yourself enough to think that you know what's best for yourself. And here's the thing. Uh, Shay kind of mentioned it in the, um, in the welcome that in a couple weeks, Jordan and Cody are going to be talking about uh, why is there pain in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? Some of you, when you hear me say that Jesus makes us lie down in green pastures, you go, Jake, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I'm going through. I'm looking around. I'm trying really hard, but it doesn't look like the ground around me is very green. So why in the world has Jesus led me to this incredibly rocky, incredibly difficult, incredibly dry Incredibly barren place. Why has Jesus led me there? This doesn't feel like a green pasture. It's because what happens when a shepherd takes a sheep through an incredibly dif- through incredibly difficult terrain? It makes the sheep need the shepherd. It makes the sheep need the shepherd. It makes the sheep realize that the greatest place of rest isn't ultimately a location. The greatest place of rest is ultimately with a person. That even whatever you're going through, and it might not be green, that you can know that Jesus as the good shepherd, that it's in his very presence that is the greatest place of rest, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation. Jesus is 
the good shepherd. All other shepherds in this world are just a shadow of the true good shepherd. The love that you get, the care that you get, the affirmation that you get, the rest that you experience, the security, get, the security that you get from your parents, from your, from your relationship, from your spouse, from your job, from your major, from your hopes, from your dreams, from, from your aspirations, from all of those things. All of those things are just shadows of the greater reality of the goodness of the good shepherd. They're all just meant to be giant pointing arrows to the good shepherd, to the rest that you can expect, the rest that you will receive from your good shepherd. So, have you ever thought about what, what's the only thing shepherds ask sheep to do? Have you ever wondered that? Like, are shepherds leaning down, like, asking sheep for advice? Like, where do you think we should go next? Which direction should we go? Or is a shepherd kind of like, like, sheep aren't doing anything, you know? So it's like, like, the shepherd sits down, like, sits his sheep down. He's like, hey, guys, uh, I know your schedules aren't very busy, so I would love for you, if you could, winter's coming, if you could knit me some sweaters, that'd be great. Like, because I know you got the wool, right? So like if you could just kind of like, like loom yourselves here and just make some sweaters, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Like is the shepherd asking anything of his sheep? No, what's the only thing that, that a shepherd asks his sheep to do? It's to follow the shepherd. This, this is like, I'm honestly not trying to talk down to you. This, this was revolutionary for me. The only thing shepherds ask their sheep to do is to go where the shepherd is going. It's to go where the shepherd's going. And so some of you are in this like, is, are, are in this kind of like angsty part of your life where you're kind of like, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to, what, what's his will for this? What's his will for that? What does he want me to do after I, after I graduate? What does he want my major to be? What does he want in this situation? What does he want in this situation? What does God want me to do? God, would you just tell me what to do? What I'm saying is that when you see Jesus as your good shepherd, it changes the question just a little. Not, it changes it from, God, what do you want me to do? And it changes to Jesus, where are you already going? Where are you already going? And I'll, I'll go that way. Where are you going? And I'll go that way. You see, sheep don't get worried about what they need to pack. They don't get worried about where they're going next. They don't get worried about what they need along the way. And they don't get worried about exactly why they're going this way instead of that way because they know that their shepherd will provide for every need that they will have along the journey because they know that their shepherd is good. So Jesus is the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, Jesus invites you to bring all your desires and all your disappointments to his feet and look to him to feed you and to lead you in the path that he is already going. So Jesus is the good shepherd because Jesus is complete in his character. What's the next thing that we see? So we see Jesus is complete in his character, and we see that Jesus is complete in his knowledge. Look at uh, John 10, 
verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. How does Jesus, to, to what degree does Jesus know his sheep? Look at verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. How deeply does Jesus know you? He knows you as deeply as he knows the Father. And how deeply does Jesus know the Father? If you look down to chapter 10, verse 30, you'll see Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Are one. Now, you go, you still go, I'm like, I don't understand that. I still don't understand how, how, how complete the knowledge is between the Father and the Son. How in the world does that work? And my answer to you, to you is, I don't know, okay? I don't know fully how intimate this knowledge is between the Father and the Son, but the point here isn't that we would get hung up on trying to, on trying to fully understand like the extravagant, the extravagant, intimate, like Trinitarian love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like how does all that work? The point here is that we would see that Jesus doesn't have one unknown sheep. Jesus doesn't have one unknown sheep. He doesn't have one forgotten sheep. He doesn't have one overlooked sheep. Sheep, he doesn't have sheep that stand on the margins who are forgotten. Do you feel forgotten? Do you feel overlooked? Do you feel marginalized? Do you feel like a total loner? Like, like have you gotten to this point in this semester and you're still like, like I don't really actually have a whole lot of friends. Do you feel like there's a sign constantly over your head? Not good enough. Not strong enough. Not beautiful enough. Not lovely enough. Unwanted. Do you have this deep sense that nobody actually knows you? And at the same time, you have an even deeper fear that if somebody actually knew you, that that knowledge of who you really are would push them away. And so you wear a mask. Maybe you came to college and this was your time to reinvent yourself because you were tired of what you experienced in high school and so if I could just be a different person in college, maybe then I'd be accepted. Maybe then I'd be in the friend group that I wanted to be in. Maybe then I'd get, maybe then I'd get the recognition from this person or that person. Maybe, maybe then they would finally look at me. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't buy sheep in the dark. Jesus doesn't buy sheep in the dark. He didn't choose us because he was unaware of our failures. He didn't choose us because he was unaware of our faults. He didn't choose us because he was unaware of your past. He didn't choose you because he was unaware of how just absolutely awkward you actually are. Right? He didn't choose you because he was unaware of who you are. 
Jesus knows us personally, and he understands every pain and struggle of the human condition. Jesus knows you, and he understands exactly what you're going through as a human being. How in the world can he know that? How in the world can Jesus fully identify with you? Well, it's way back in the first verse of the book of John. John chapter one, verse 14, the word, so Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then later on in the book of Hebrews, what we see, I believe it's in chapter four, it says this, it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Here's the thing. Jesus became one of us in order to fully know us. He knows you precisely and he knows you practically. Here's what I mean. So imagine that you have a watch, okay? And I don't mean like an Apple watch because that ruins my analogy, okay? I mean like, a, like an old school watch, like one that that ticks and is analog, like doesn't have the numbers on it, you know, has like the gears and stuff. So you gotta watch and it's not keeping time or it's totally broken, okay? So you know there's, there's something messed up about it and so you take it to somebody who you know knows nothing about watches, which is probably most of the people you know, okay? So like take it to your roommate, right? They know nothing about watches. And they say, you go, you go to them, it's like, it's like this thing's broken. It doesn't work or it doesn't keep time. Can, like, can you fix this? And you know they know nothing about watches. And they go, oh yeah, I'll, to I'll totally take care of that for you. I'll fix it, I'll clean it up, it'll be great. Um, the reality is, is that they'll end up doing more harm than good, right? Because here's what'll happen, is they'll take your broken watch, who they know nothing about, they'll open it up, they'll take everything out, and they won't know how to put it back together. It'll actually, end, it'll actually be worse than when you first gave it to them. Because they know nothing about watches. Now contrast that with, you take your watch, and this is the person who made the watch. And it's broken. And you take it to the person who made the watch. And that person says, I put every wheel, every cog, every bridge, every pin in that watch. I know where everything goes in that watch. In fact, not only that, if you look here on the inside, I've engraved my name on the inside of it. So you know, this is my watch. I made this watch. How would you feel handing that watch over to the person who made it? How much confidence would you have that they'd be able to put the broken pieces back together? Certainly more than you did when you gave it to your roommate, right? You'd feel total confidence handing your watch over to that person knowing that he can make it right because he made it to begin with. So it is with our shepherd.
so it is with our good shepherd. Stop looking to wannabe watchmakers to put you back together. Look to the one who knows you, who made you, who's inscribed his initials on your heart and who knows exactly what it's like to be in a broken world. Look to the one who made you to put you back together. So Jesus is complete in his character. He's complete in his knowledge. And finally, Jesus is complete in his sacrifice. He says it four times. So look at verse 11. Towards the end, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Go down to verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Go to verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And then verse 18. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. Notice what's happening here in each one of these verses. Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. Jesus' death wasn't involuntary. But Jesus gave his life. He laid his own life down freely, willingly, joyfully. And someone could say to Jesus, as he says this, that I lay down my life for the sheep. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And someone could say, the sheep? Like the shepherd dying for the sheep. Like those sheep? Have you seen those sheep? Like, do you understand sheep? Like, surely, Jesus, you've got bigger things to lay your life down for, right? Or like, you've got a greater reason to live, right? Like, have you seen these sheep? Not only are these sheep dumb, these sheep hate your guts. Like, they hate you. They want nothing to do with you. Isn't that our state? We are born enemies of God. We are not born neutral, like, don't joke with yourself about that. Like, we are born enemies of God, not wanting anything to do with God. The very fact that we would want anything to do with God is an evidence of the grace of God that he has opened our eyes to see his goodness. We don't want anything to do with him. But here's the thing. Jesus is not embarrassed to have laid down his life for you. He's not embarrassed to have laid down his life for you. As messed up as you are, as needy as you are, Jesus was publicly crucified in broad daylight so that he could save you. Jesus suffered the wrath of God so that his sheep, us, wouldn't have to suffer. And here, here's, the, here's the most amazing thing. The good shepherd is also the sacrificial lamb. Do you see that? The good shepherd is also the sacrificial lamb. He's the spotless lamb who died on behalf of dirty sheep so that we could be made clean. Our good shepherd is also the perfect lamb of God who was slain. 
He gave of his life freely so that you could freely receive abundant life. He gave of his life freely so that you could freely receive abundant life. So stop looking for another shepherd. Stop looking to other people or other things to be for you what only Jesus can be. The search is over. The search is over. And all that's left for you to do is to follow him. Here's my question tonight. What in your life stands in the way of you following this good shepherd? He's good. He knows you fully. And he has sacrificed himself for you. No other shepherd will do that. What in your life keeps you from following this good shepherd? What in your life is a louder voice than the voice of your shepherd? Who or what in your life is drowning out the voice of the good shepherd in your life? Just a few verses later, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Have you turned up the volume of other things or other people who at the end of the day care very little for your soul and for your eternity? Have you turned up their volume to where, you, to where you're like my daughter who's sitting in the back seat of the car and she's got her headphones on and listening to Jojo Siwa, which, whew. Uh, and so, <laughs> and she's got, apparently has it like blaring, you know, and I look back and I'm like, and she can't hear a thing. You know, she's like, what? Like she doesn't take it off, right? She's just like trying to scream over Jojo and it just doesn't work because it's like she's got that just cranked in her ears, like that. Like what in your life have you just turned the volume up? Turned it up so much that you can't even hear the voice of your shepherd. Or maybe, maybe it's not something else. Maybe you've turned up your own voice so much. Maybe it's your own thoughts. Maybe it's your own desires. Maybe it's what you want for your own life that you've turned up that has drowned out the voice of your shepherd and the voice of other sheep who are following the good shepherd. So here's, here's why um, some of your leaders say really hard things to you. I hope they do sometimes. And here's why. The reason that leaders say hard things to you when they see you drowning out the voice of the good shepherd in your life is because they love you. They're not trying to ruin your fun but they know that the path you're going down is not the path that the shepherd is walking. And so what they're saying to you and trying as much as they can is to say, 
follow the good shepherd. Stop doing what you're doing. I know you think it's fun. I know you think it's fulfilling. I know you think it's satisfying. I know you think that that's the best place for you to lie down. That's not where the shepherd has taken us. That is the most loving thing a fellow sheep can do is to encourage one another to follow the good shepherd because otherwise, what's the alternative? That, we just, that they just let you go. That they just let you go down the path of destruction. That's the alternative. You see, the most loving thing for me to do for my kids isn't to let them do whatever they want. Right? Because like whatever they want will uh, burn the house down. Okay? Like if I just like let my, if I just go like, nope, not gonna, not gonna say anything to them, they will end up harming themselves. That is the least loving thing I can do as their parent is to say nothing when they're going down a path that I know is destructive. It would be way easier for your leaders Honestly, it'd be way easier for your leaders. It'd be way easier. I'm telling you, like, as an elder of this church, it would be, it'd be so much easier that when we see people going down a path of destruction, it'd be so much easier to just say nothing. Say nothing, do nothing, do whatever you want. I don't care. That's way easier, and it's also the harshest, most hateful thing that we can do for a fellow sheep. So if you want to hate one another really well, don't say anything when you see each other doing things that will ultimately bring destruction on your lives. Just guaranteed. Listen to the voices of fellow sheep who are pointing you to follow in the path of the good shepherd. So we see the completeness of his character. We see the completeness of his deep knowledge of you. And we see the completeness of his sacrifice on your behalf, demonstrating the love and care that he has as the good shepherd for his sheep. No other, no other wannabe shepherd will do that for you. No other would-be shepherd would know you so deeply and yet sacrifice so much so that you can be his sheep. So the search is over. If you've been looking for a good shepherd, the search is over. Follow in the way and in the path of Jesus Christ who is everything you have been searching for Let's pray.